Thank you for being a Screen Pass listener. Screen Pass, the show about American football and popular culture. I'm Sheehan, and with me, as always, is world-renowned football-themed erotic fan fiction author, Justin Barber. How you doing, man? Hey, Sheehan. I'm doing great. Great, great, great. How are you? Good. Always excited when we record. I feel like I say that each and every episode, but it's true. Sam, I get pumped for these podcasts that we do. I'm especially pumped this week because I feel like we're recording a very timely episode, and Given the turnaround to these releasing, it won't be timely by the time it comes out, but it's very much timely for now because we watched 80 for Brady. Yeah, we did. For those of you who aren't familiar, we're going to obviously talk about the movie. was released point less than a week ago at the point at which we're recording. How did we get copies of it? Don't even worry about it. Don't worry about it, huh? Mind your business. At the point of recording, it is oh, just before the Super Bowl. It is just after Tom Brady's announced his retirement. There couldn't be a better time to be talking about this film. Yeah, 100%. He just announced it within the past two weeks. The movie came out in the past week. We have our finger on the pulse of what's going on. Exactly. We're timely. After last episode and talking about Michael Jackson and Indiana Jones and all those fantastic Super Bowl halftime shows. Madonna. Well, she's also been in the news, hasn't she? And I have a distinct memory and this could be a mandela effect thing that you were saying how attractive madonna still is to this very day and that came out after her appearance at the grammys i said that she looked good for her age and really i was more saying that she kept up with all the dancers i mean she looked in step with all of them she she did look good in that show but as of recent news would you say not so much? <laughs> I don't know if these pop up on your radar quite as much as they do over here, but it's very much tabloid fodder and morning show fodder over here. And they're people who spend their life savings and more to look like a celebrity. And she yep. looks like one of those people, but she didn't ask yep. him to make him look like, uh, make her look like Madonna. Yep. hundred percent. So I don't know. You were saying to me, you stepped on a wasp earlier this week. Maybe that's what happened to her. Yeah, yeah, it's um unseasonably warm, and I'm loving it. I'm in a t-shirt right now, was just outside, and I killed my first wasp. Hopefully many, hopefully not many more to come. I hate those things. I hate them, hate them with a passion, but they always nest on my property, so constantly killing those guys. Well, so long as you're not allergic. <laughs> I'm not, and it's funny... This is a funny thing because every time a bee or a wasp comes around, everyone freaks out and they're always like, I'm allergic. No, you're not. Those people are not allergic. They don't want to get fucking stung. I don't either. I hate it. It's the worst. It's pain. Just admit that you don't want to get stung. Coming at me with this, I'm allergic. Room full of 20 people and 18 are allergic. Come on. I actually, I am allergic. Uh Uh-huh. I've only been stung (laughs) once. And I was playing uh, Super Smash Bros. at my cousin's house and I put my leg down. I didn't see that there was a bee underneath and almost instantly my leg blew up like a fucking Christmas hand. Oof. It was like purple and hot and it was incredibly unsightly. 
So you are allergic. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm not one of these people who will be like drop dead the first time it happens, but I'm very careful for it not to happen. Technically, everyone's allergic because you feel it, but some people have a massive response like you. Now, this might be killing too much time, but does that count for bees, wasps, hornets? Is that if you're is it like if you're allergic to one, are you allergic to all of them? Or is it very specific to the type of insect? I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, even a difference between the, say, the species of bee or whether I'd be more or less allergic living in a different country. But um, I'm not game to find out. Yeah, probably best. I would imagine that the wasp and the hornet are probably worse because they're a more fearsome beast. And they don't stop. They'll just keep stinging you and stinging you. Mm. One time, you remember a few years back that water challenge that people would do? Where ice bucket yeah, yeah. challenge, they yeah, would yeah. dump. We got roped into that. It was a couple people had tagged me in it. So I went to go do it like a fellow internet supporter, I guess. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. I went out and we started to do the ice bucket challenge and it ended up a wasp nest had nested in the siding where my deck was and they swarmed and they were in our hair. They got inside Basically, like I told the ladies, I'm like, just go close yourself in a bathroom. And I I must have killed like 10, 10 wasps in my kitchen. It was nuts. Trauma, 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 trauma. Fucking hell. That would uh, yeah. scare the shit out of me. If I say I don't do any more of those internet things anymore, I blame <laughs> it on the ice bucket challenge. <laughs> Other than podcasts, I suppose. Other than podcasts. So should we talk about this movie? Instead of bees and wasps and hornets, or do we do we want to stay in the world of the apiary? Let's get into it. I think that's why the people are here. Let's give them what they want. I know they've heard the buzz about the movie. But I'm bum bum. <laughs> we already talked. Eighty for Brady released the third of February, twenty twenty three. At the time I made my notes, it had a five point eight out of ten on IMDb. Directed by Kyle Marvin, written by Emily Halpin and Sarah Haskins. They're the writers of Booksmart and another film that escapes me. Stars Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Sally Field, Rita Moreno and Tom Brady. And four diehard Patriots fans take a life-changing trip to Super Bowl 51. Now, this is based on a true story, so I thought that'd probably be a pretty good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. It's based on a true story, but I would say more so loosely based on a true story. Essentially, there is a group of friends. I believe there was five of them in reality. Yep. Am I right with that? And they got together and kind of bonded through the Patriots. And they called themselves over 80 for Brady. My understanding, like you say, there were five friends who I got the impression from reading a story. Their husbands were all Pats fans. And after their husbands passed away, they got together to watch the Patriots games. Now, it wasn't a case of like the husbands were on a road trip and they all died in the same car. I think it was sort of a progressive thing. There was sort of two, then three, then four, then five. Uh, that's how it came about. And as you say, they had right. called themselves over 80 for Brady. It predates Brady with the Patriots. I've got a quote here from one of them. She says, we liked Bledsoe, but now Tom was the quarterback and he was our guy. So I don't know how early were, was it the Parcells era Patriots, you know, were they uh, big Pete Carroll guys, were they Ron Rust guys, who's to say? Right. Obviously Brady comes in and, and that's kind of, that comes up, Mo Lewis ironing out Drew Bledsoe. It was pitched 
I think a couple of times and I, I guess Tom Brady eventually got wind of it and uh, decided to make the movie. Uh, they never actually went to the Super Bowl. You know, they were just, just friends got together and they got a lot out of it. I think four of the five are still alive. They're all in their 90s. Yep. Uh, so I think that's pretty cool. And I've got I've got a quote from them that we'll actually, we'll finish the episode with. Nice. I think. So there's a nice tease from if you want some wisdom from uh, someone's grandma. Right. Yeah, the movie was, I would say, loosely based on this group. I mean, it's the idea of the group. And really, it's just about four friends coming together. It's it's more so about the friendship and the bonds. And it circles around the Patriots in this case. So um, it's very cool when Brady found out that they were doing the movie. He sent them a personalized video of himself. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's how it went down. Yeah, and he talked about their story and, and his fans and I suppose how they inspire him. Speaking of inspirational people, let's talk about the four leads in this film because they're sort of four pretty cool women who've who've lived a hell of a life, one of them in particular, two of them in particular, but really they all have. Yep. By way of introduction, I figured let's talk about them because also in my notes, I don't, I never refer to them as their character names. I just have them as the actors. Yep, same. Because they're all famous. You've seen them in something for sure. And over the years for our whole lives, you and me, our whole lives. Yeah. These, these women have been in movies and culture. It's probably an interesting place to start. One of the first films that I ever really loved and wanted to watch all the time was the early 90s version of the Beverly Hillbillies. Nice. With Jim Varney and Diedrich Bader, Seven Degrees of Separation. He plays Batman now, uh, or the voice mm-hmm. of Batman. But Lily Tomlin is in that, as is Rob Schneider. Uh, but I always remember her from that, and that was kind of my first exposure to Lily Tomlin. But although that was my first exposure to her, uh, she rose to prominence as a comedian in the late 60s, early 70s. She was on uh, Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, a member of that comedy scene as comedy was kind of exploding. She was in 9 to 5 with Jane Fonda. I was going to say 9 to 5 with Jane Fonda and Dolly Parton. I think Dolly's come up in this podcast before too, right? Funnily enough, in uh, an episode of our show and an episode of Simpsons that we're almost certain to discuss absolutely later in this episode. Yeah, Lily Tomlin, uh, obviously Grace and Frankie as well with Jane Fonda, passionate advocate for LGBTQI plus rights, and is just, you know, an iconic comedian. Funnily enough, with seven Emmys, two Tonys, a Grammy, She is the least successful of the four leads in this movie. That's wild. And she plays Lou Luella, a diehard Pats and uh, Tom Brady fan. She's kind of the central character in the movie. Right. If there was a main character, I would say it's her. I mean, although the four share the spotlight pretty close, the story kind of revolves around her and her situation. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we talk about the four friends and obviously the fifth character in this is, uh, you know, their friendship and the city of New York and Tom Brady. Indeed. (laughs) Next up on the list is Rita Moreno, who got on my radar and I went to go back and watch this today, but I ran out of time. Got on my radar because of her episode hosting The Muppets or The Muppet Show, the third ever episode. She won an Emmy for her performance on The Muppets. Wow. I have to check that out. If you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that me and she and are both huge Muppets fans. That was your number one Christmas movie. So it's a little seven degrees of separation there. 
Absolutely. Rita Moreno, sadly, not in that. She's the only Latin person to win an EGOT, the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, and the Tony. First Hispanic person to win an Oscar for her role in West Side Story, so won an Oscar in the first one and then popped up in last year or 2021's version of it as well uh, with a character they wrote just for her. But she's like queen of stage. Mm. With all of these women, they've just they've been in everything. They've dominated yeah. stage, screen, big screen, little screen. So it is hard to go into everything. But, you know, Rita Moreno, she's Rita Moreno, the queen. She is <laughs> the queen. Was the voice of Carmen Sandiego in the 90s? Fantastic. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Well, she sneaks around the world from Vienna to Carolina. She's a sticky fingered filcher from Berlin down to Belize. Take you for a ride on a slow boat to China. Tell me where in the world. Carmen San Diego. It's pretty. I used to love the games. Yeah, hundred percent. And eighty for Brady. Not her only film that's coming out this year. She is due to play Abuela Toretto in Fast X. Huh. You know she's joining the family. <laughs> in this film, she plays Mora, a widow who lives in a retirement home. Yeah, lost her husband, and that's a big part of her story in this. How she's coping with that. She gets over it very quickly, but we'll come to that. And Sally Field, I suppose if you're our vintage, you might know her as the mum from Mrs. Doubtfire or the mum from Forrest Gump. Or uh, Steel Magnolias. True. There used to be this, it was in the 90s, this show came out and they kept advertising it on television. It was really intense and I ended up seeing it. It was an adult was watching it and I, I was just happened to be there. And it's called Not Without My Daughter. And the commercial is always like, Sally Field's in. Not without my daughter. And it was like, and they just played it all the time. So I have a daughter and it's amazing how much <laughs> I reference that all these years later. I mean, you know, are you going to the store? Sally Fields and not without my daughter. <laughs> Twice won the Best Actress Oscar, beat Jane Fonda in 1979 to win her first. Not the first time she's been referenced on the show either. Referenced in passing in our Home Improvement episode. With uh, Irv Schmeyman saying that if you want the show to be funny, you got to make the nun fly. And that's kind of where Sally Field got her first start in The Flying Nun way back when. Interesting little fun fact, too. She was also Aunt May in the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Yes. And Lily Tomlin was the voice of Aunt May in Into the Spider-Verse. Wow. So you got a little bit of comic book connection there. They're both Aunt May. Speaking of Aunt May, or Aunt May as I would call her. Marissa Tomei is an anagram of It's-A-Me, Mario. It's-A-Me, uh, Marissa Tomei. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a little to- Marissa Tomei thing going on. Uh, in this, Sally Field plays Betty, an ex-MIT stats professor, with a weirdo professor husband, played by Bob Balaban. She's the youngest uh, at a, I suppose, comparatively youthful 75. Right. Each one of these ladies kind of has their own thing. You know, you have the widower. I guess we'll get into some of these other characters, but Sally Field is kind of that wife that's been married forever, loves her husband, but it's the type of husband she has to do everything for. So she's like your classic old school house mom where he's like, what pants should I wear? And she's like bringing out the pants. Yeah. All of the women in this 
act great, um, but she she was very good in this. If you've ever spent any time with career academics, I found both the portrayal of her and her husband very accurate. Good to know. It seems like it made sense. Specific to two people. And then last, but most certainly not least, is Jane Fonda. Barbarella. Who is absolute A-list, born into Hollywood royalty. Her father, one of the first true Hollywood superstars. Been a pretty outspoken political activist most of her life. Yep. Certainly outspoken against the Vietnam War. She was known as Hanoi Jane after she went and posed with North Vietnamese soldiers on an anti-aircraft gun. Something she said she later regretted, not going, but certainly posing on the gun. As we talked about, co-starred with Lily Tomlin in 9 to 5 and Grace and Frankie. Known, amongst everything else, for her home workout videos in the 80s and 90s. Absolutely. Do you have the name of those? What were they called? Didn't they have a name? I think they might have just been called like Jane Fonda Aerobics or something like that. Honestly, that's kind of how I remember her from like seeing those old tapes laying around everywhere. She was also in Monster-in-Law with J-Lo. And that's a little seven degrees of separation to our last episode when J-Lo does the halftime show. Absolutely. Well, there'll be more of that later as well. There's a tease for you. Ooh. And like Sally Field, she's won two Oscars, been nominated for seven. Just an absolute queen of the, the screen. And looks great. She plays the role of the sexy older woman that kind of goes through men and trying to quit men and the Blanche of the Golden Girls kind of character. But she looks great. She was definitely like the sexy one. Yeah. Gonna be honest, probably still would. But She's not like a man-eater per se. I got the impression she's sort of just, you know, she's not like a Samantha on Sex in the City. I think she was just like the hot one. Well, she's trying to like quit men. That's her underlining story. Like, I'm not going to flirt. I'm not going to get with any guys. It wasn't in a nasty way like Samantha on Sex in the City. Nasty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she plays Trish. Uh, I've got here an unlucky in love former TV model who now writes Gronk-themed erotica. What I didn't realize, around the time this would have been filmed, she was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, oh. which might explain why she's wearing wigs all the time in this and, and has short hair. So right, essential part of this, and we'll come to this anyway, is that they all be getting to the Patriots because Lily Tomlin's character was overcoming leukemia. It's a central part that she thinks it might come back again, and, and this is why they're going on the road trip. So it's interesting that this was actually happening to one of the times. Certainly, if it wasn't while she was filming this, it was around that time. Yeah. Um, so she turns in a pretty good performance, and one of the first notes I have here is everything she wears in this movie is amazing. Yeah, for sure. She looks great. And again, all of them really do deliver. They, I mean, they're well-versed, well-established, well-recognized actors so it shows they're four pros we'll come to this i suppose when we talk about what we thought of the film they made this film better than it had any right to be agreed if you got other people in there probably wouldn't have stood a chance it's a bit like some of those old rat pack films which are all terrible but the only endearing feature or redeeming feature is the chemistry between all the leads and that's kind of this film I'm not saying it's as terrible as those because those rat pack films are terrible but you can see Ugh. that they're all having fun working with each other. You watch them to watch the Rat Pack. Exactly. And this is the modern day Rat Pack for sure. Even though, yeah, I mean, there's a good chance that three of them might have gone around with uh, the chairman. <laughs> 
so let's let's get into this movie, shall we? And we start with Lily Tomlin, Sally Field, Jane Fonda, and Rita Moreno. They're all watching the 2017 AFC Championship, Patriots Steelers, and we sort of get introduced to the characters and their fandom for the Patriots and their game day superstitions, which involves at time of kickoff, Jane Fonda needs to be in another room reading a magazine. Rita Moreno needs to be drinking tea. Sally Field needs to be standing on a ladder. And Lily Tomlin needs to spill a bowl of chips. It boils back to them all doing that during, was it game eight? It was like, yeah, week eight versus the Bills or something. Yeah, yeah, because they keep referencing it. Like, that's how we beat the Bills. So they all did this thing at, at one time, and it became solidified in their head as they have to do this to win. Yep. Do you have any game day superstitions? By nature, I'm not a very superstitious guy, but I do do certain things with jerseys. So I'm a Ravens fan. And in 2019, the Ravens were having an unbelievable season. They were the first seed. Their record was 14-2. and two. I have two Lamar Jackson jerseys, one that's purple and one that's black. And I prefer the black one just because it's cool. Like a black jersey looks good. And that's the one I typically wear out. I wore that black jersey. They lost back-to-back. And they lost that year. It was to... The Chiefs, and then I think the second team wasn't that good. It was like the Browns or something. But I wore that black jersey back-to-back, put it away, wore the purple jersey for the rest (laughs) of the year. And I was like, they're winning, they're winning, I'm wearing this. You know, they beat the, the Steelers, the Bengals, the Patriots. And the Patriots that year had a killer defense. 2019 Patriots defense was unbelievable, if you remember. I remember the, uh, the Patriots Ravens game that year. Do you? I do. I I remember it too, actually. I remember watching it and just kept expecting something to happen that didn't happen. That was a good year for them. So the black jersey was out and that was very superstition. I will occasionally do stuff. I guess I say I'm not superstitious, but I do stuff like that. How about you? Do you have any superstitions? I don't. Not playing sport, not watching sport. We used to have a game day ritual that we do, but it wasn't like a superstition. It was just, this is what we do on on game day when we go and watch Frio play. I'm kind of boring in that sense. The closest I could say is one year for Christmas, I got, I'm not a Catholic, but you know how you get those saint candles that you light and you pray to whoever it is. This one had Gronk on it. So, you know, (laughs) St. Robert. And during Super Bowl 54, Patriots Rams. And the game was really, really close. And I hadn't lit it before, and I lit the candle, and the Patriots went down the field and scored, and then they picked off Jared Goff. So, you know, I'm disappointed that my ring never arrived from Mr. Kraft. Yeah. I've never lit it again, even in the most dire of circumstances. So I don't have lucky socks uh, or anything like that. I used to play cricket with guys that would have lucky socks and lucky jocks and stuff like that. One of the guys I played with had these lucky jocks. You know that Spider-Man meme where his mask is all torn over his face. Yep. Yeah, they were like holding on by threads. Yuck. <laughs> but he'd made a hundred in these once yeah. and wore them every game since. So routine, more important than superstition when you're playing sport. But um, Yeah, I had a buddy when I played soccer. He had a jersey and he wouldn't wash it yep. as long as he was winning, which is pretty nasty. You know, I mean, those things get pretty foul pretty quick. We were pretty good that year, too. So, I mean, that sucks for him. And more importantly, it sucked for the people around him. But, like, the second we lost, we're like, wash that nasty jersey. 
one of the superstitions I do love is in I'm not a not an ice hockey guy at all, but I love the players growing playoff beards. Oh yeah, Movember. Yep, growing <laughs> yeah. the big beard, um, which Julian Edelman has in this movie and had at the time as well. He was growing the keep the beard going while we got the momentum going. So I've yep. I'm a fan of that sort of thing: growing the mustache, growing the hair, growing the beard, whatever it is. Yeah, that's cool. I dig that too. There's no grown beards or moustaches in this. Uh, I think there's probably waxing moustaches if they're like many of the other sort of ladies of their <laughs> ilk. hey I did quite like the first sort of indicator of the comedy in this film, and I've got it written down here. In retrospect, I don't actually think it's that funny, but Rita Moreno saying, drinking is vulgar, I sip. Yeah, yep. <laughs> it's, like, it's such an old woman person, an old woman <laughs> thing to say. A hundred percent, yeah. So the Pats win as they they did, and instead of planning a Super Bowl party, uh, which they all immediately start talking about, Lily Tomlin suggests that they go to the Super Bowl instead. Tom's getting old; he's nearly forty. It's like eighty, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, "We're eighty." It's yeah. <laughs> a good line. Exactly. So the girls are hesitant, but Lily Tomlin convinces them to try, and they see a competition to win tickets via a Patriots fan show, and they try to enter yep. that. I really liked Alex Moffat and Rob Codry as the two mass old Pats fans hosting this uh, Pats Nation Patriots fan show. That was kind of the, I, I suppose, the Basil exposition of the film of constantly updating everyone of what was going on. Exactly, and they had the heavy Boston accents. Ah, the Pats—they're gonna make it. They and <laughs> they were so intense. It's exactly what you expect from a sports show amped up to ten. They were really good. They were, I loved uh, the jokes along the ticker at the bottom and all their fans' names and stuff like that that were popping up. I thought it was really good. And I was always a fan of Alex Moffat on SNL, so it was nice to see him pop up after he uh, he got the ass there. Me too. And uh, Rob Codry as well. This is a Six Degrees of a Future episode. One of the featured characters in Ballers. Yeah, we haven't gotten to the Ballers one yet, but we, we do talk about it from time. It'll, it will do it one day. If you're a Ballers yeah, fan, we- hang in there. It'll happen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We're trying to get The Rock on the show. He's busy at the moment. He's busy. He's smelling stuff. He's cooking and he's trying to get people to smell. And once that's done, <laughs> he said, who will show up? If you smell what The Rock is cooking. Exactly. Well, I was going to say, he promised to come on if we didn't have Vin Diesel on the show. And I suppose, spoiler alert, uh, we're going to have Vin on. Uh, for the next month as we uh, we break down you know some of his uh, footballing films but obviously it'd be great to have Dwayne on so <laughs> if anyone knows him look don't tell him that Vin's on the show we got to keep that quiet we appreciate that yeah so Rita Moreno is going around her retirement village getting them to ring up and and do their best to enter the competition Sally Field like does some maths calculation I don't think Jane Fonda really does anything I don't remember her doing anything I keep going to call her Jane Foster, and funnily enough, I keep always go to call Jane Foster Jane Fonda. Lily Tomlin doesn't really do anything either. Well, she goes to call in, but it kind of backs up with that superstition thing. She's just like waiting and waiting and waiting. And this becomes the beginning where she looks at a bobblehead of Tom Brady, and I think he says, let's go. Because mm. Tom Brady, there's a lot of clips of him doing that, obviously, his... his freak out let's go let's go let's go let's go baby let's go let's go let's go let's go 
So I think he says that to her and then she dowels in at that moment. Kind of plays in with all their superstition stuff. At least that's how I read it. Tom's sort of like a, uh, for most of the film, like a Jiminy Cricket type figure for Lou. You know, he appears, he talks to her, he gives her advice. She talks later in the film about drawing inspiration from him. And I suppose that's just the manifestation of that. And it's at this point that we do get the backstory for their Pat's fandom as well. Because they have to tell the story of why they should win the tickets. And so, as we talked about, Lily Tomlin has uh, leukemia and her mates are keeping her company. They put on the TV to take her mind off things. And wouldn't you know it, the TV is stuck on the Pats game. And they turn on just in time to see Mo Lewis uh, ring Drew Bledsoe's bell and into the game comes Tom Brady for the first time. And they're, they're sort of caught up. They're like, mm, who's this handsome young man? Who's this tall drink of water? Right. And that's kind of how it went. And, oh, they're cute. Yeah, he's cute. As you said, the TV was broke. They're hitting it and the volume goes up. It just like really absorbs their attention. And this was in the 2001-2002 season. So I don't know exactly when that happened, what month that happened in, but it was the 01 to 02. Isn't that when Brady started? 2000-2001. No, yes, you're right, 0102 because they won the yep. they won the Super Bowl after 9/11. So but they were talking about Brady won the um the 9/11 Super Bowl and the COVID Super Bowl. That's how long he played for. I don't know if you want to talk about this now. Everyone that's listening to this, whether you're into football or not, you know of Tom Brady. I mean, he is the most famous quarterback at this point, I would say. What you might not know is that he was pick 199. So he was picked in the sixth round. And normally, players that are picked in the sixth round, there's there's value that comes out of it. They're good football players. But a lot of times, not great football players come of this. It's so rare. There's a few, for example, Brett Starr, who we reference in our Seven Degrees to Bart Simpson. Bart Starr, he was a pretty famous quarterback in the 50s. He was 17th round. At that time, there, was, there wasn't the, as many teams as there are today. Then there's really only a couple others, like Shannon Sharp was a 7th round pick in 1990 and Antonio Brown was a sixth round pick in 2010 but those are the only ones that come to mind for me but for Tom Brady to be a sixth round pick be a backup quarterback and come in and be argumentatively one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time if not the greatest quarterback of all time is it's mind-blowing so the way this story starts is kind of that legendary first Brady stepping onto the field and just playing lights out and uh, as you mentioned he took them to the super bowl which was awesome i mean you're right about all that julian edelman seventh rounder as well uh, my favorite player oh, yeah. of all time i think johnny U might have been like a 15th as well but those older days that's like the the draft in the mlb they're like yeah. just picking guys uh and exactly some teams wouldn't have even heard of them or seen them play so those yep. early drafts we're like oh this player was drafted here it's not the draft as we know it now or even now they they scout i mean kids are scouted since high school but definitely in college they're scouted and they're ranked from their first time they step on the field to to the draft so it's definitely different than it was back then since we're sort of talking about it now are the pictures of him at the draft combine and the speeds that he's running in like yeah, no wonder this guy went late. He's a normal-looking dude. He wasn't yep. the starter at Michigan. He was certainly the better quarterback, but they were doing a, an interchangeable quarterback thing, so he probably didn't get as much play as he wanted. And he was actually... A lot of people think he came in as a rookie in that 0-1-0-2 season. He wasn't. That was his second year. And the Patriots carried three quarterbacks, which they don't normally tend to do. 
during that 2000 season because they liked Brady so much they didn't want to lose him. And uh, I was listening to an interview with Tom Curran, the uh, New England reporter, the other week, and he was saying that it was obvious, even during that 2001 preseason, Brady was the better quarterback than Bledsoe. But Bledsoe was the highest-played player in the league. And so, you know, are you going to start, you know, this sixth-round rookie over... Bledsoe, but really Belichick was just looking for an excuse to start Brady because he was playing better. I mean, Bledsoe played most of the fourth preseason game of that season. That tells you how you know how well he was doing. Yep. And Belichick didn't believe in Bledsoe so much that he traded him to the Bills, a division rival, not long after. Of course, the Patriots don't win the uh, 2001 Super Bowl or 102 Super Bowl without Drew Bledsoe. He comes into the game in the against the Steelers in the playoffs and and wins. Obviously, the famous playoff game is the snowball, the tuck rule game, whatever you want to call it, against the Raiders, but just sneak home against the Steelers too, and then they go to uh, the Super Bowl. And it's probably hard to believe for you know fans of the NFL, people who've been fans of the NFL for 20 years. The Patriots were a laughingstock for a very long time. Uh, come about in the 60s, they'd made the Super Bowl twice before, had the doors blown off by the 85 Bears, They'd had the doors blown off by the Favre-led Packers. Really, John Hanna, inside, or a guard, was the only player of note in the team's history before Drew Bledsoe. Yeah, you had Steve Grogan and Stanley Morgan and stuff like that, but really it wasn't until Bledsoe came along that the Patriots started to, I suppose, be a bit more recognizable. And then, you know, there was Parcells for a bit, there was Pete Carroll for a bit, and then Bill Belichick came and, and took over. That story of... Parcells and Belichick and how Belichick got to the Patriots is super duper interesting. Check out the 30 for 30 on Disney plus the two bills to get that story better. But yeah, for the Patriots to win in 2001 was a massive deal. It was after nine 11 that we talked about. It was the patriotic team. It seemed kismet right. that this story of the underdog had taken them all the way and won against the more fancied team. And it was, you know, the Patriots were lovable losers like the Browns were before they went and hired a sex pest uh, to play quarterback for them or the (laughs) Lions or the Jags or any of these teams that have just been starved for success. And it's so strange to think back now that, you know, 20 something years on, they're the most successful franchise and everyone fucking hates them because of Tom Brady, um, who the story of everyone loved just because he was so good. And granted, a really good team was built around him as well. Um, You know, even looking at the players that we'll get into throughout this, particularly this year, the 2017 Patriots, a lot, a lot of good talent on that team. Yep. And, you know, years before that, of course, too, they've, they've been very good for a while. Right now they're going through a little bit of a restructuring, but that 2017 team was awesome from defense to offense. They were very solid. And I suppose as well, like Brady wasn't always Brady. Like, yeah, he showed that he probably had something that other people didn't, but he was probably better than a game manager. He was doing things that Jimmy Garoppolo and Derek Carr couldn't, and they're sort of your game manager quarterbacks in today's game. But he was a quarterback in a well-structured team and a well-coached team, like Brock Purdy this year. It's a very similar story. The team around him and, and Brady took them all the way to win. wasn't really until he'd been in the league for probably his third Super Bowl was when he started to get good. And at that point you go, well, he's won three and he's starting to get good now. Most of his B 
best years as a passer. I mean, you could talk about all of his career broken down in certain ways, but his most dominant years as a passer when he was setting records in that spread offense in 07 and things like that, he wasn't winning. They were in a massive drought, and it's only been sort of later in his career that he's then caught up four more rings. I guess that's Tom Brady. We'll come back to we'll come back to him. I think um, sure. I definitely talk more about him here than I, I was planning to. My bad. Let's go. So <laughs> that's all. Right. It's all right. I'm, I'm always happy to talk about Brady. Oh, I know you are. I'm sitting here, sitting here, recording the episode in a Brady jersey. I got to see him play live, which I just think, you know, how good is that? You get to see the greatest player ever play live uh, not only that he broke the record for all-time passing yards and all-time touchdowns in that game i know records in the nfl are different but if you kept them like any other fucking sport that would have been the game sure i was in the toilet having a piss at the time but i was still there for it which i thought was pretty cool it is the background on my that phone cool. that game uh and you know i just think it's awesome that i got to see him it's you know it was a dream much like the women in in 80 for brady it's not uh she in for brady so they kept watching the game. They got invested in the Pats because Brady was so handsome, despite the largely boring uh, 10-3 loss in his first game. Uh, over the season, they get more and more invested, drawn into the understory of Brady. And Tomlin, I've got Tomlin here. I'm like, Mike Tomlin? No, Lily Tomlin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, credits the Pats season for helping her overcome her cancer, you know, looking at it and, and if, if they can do it, she can do it. And she talks later uh, about drawing strength on that. And, you know, you can really... You can really see that. So they enter this competition and lo and behold, Tomlin tells them, I love the way she tells them as well with the gender reveal box that they've won the tickets <laughs> and they're going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's like, I think it's a boy or something comes out and they're like, who's having a boy? What's a boy? And she's like, no, no, it's the only box they had. And they're like, well, who's yeah. who's having the kid? She's like, forget about yeah. the kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a gender reveal. It's just a reveal. <laughs> yeah, it was a good funny scene. At no point in this movie does the movie do anything that we've not seen before. What is your favorite version of this movie? Because it's been made so many times. There's so many ways you can take it. But what are you, what's your favorite version of this? Really what this boils down to in the structure of this movie is a journey. You get a lot of these where people are trying to get to this one location, this one event, this one element, and all along the way... Yeah, they run into all sorts of silly things happen to them along the way. One of them that came to mind was, oh, brother, where art thou? You know, they're trying to get to this one location. A good one is Detroit Rock City. Mm -hmm. A bunch of young guys trying to get to your boys, go see the Kiss, kissing concert. It's a really funny movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember it being funny. I have two that really come to mind. One is one of my favorite low-key movies is secret life of walter mitty have you seen that mm -hmm. i've not seen the movie i've read the book okay the movie is ben stiller and Kristen wig Patton oswald he's in this and sean penn and it's basically a guy who has a very bland life and he's trying to get the lost photo for the last cover of life magazine but the movie itself is it builds um it's a great story it's really beautiful it has an awesome soundtrack so I highly recommend that. The other movie, which if you have a guilty pleasure of Kid Rock songs, this is my guilty <laughs> pleasure of movies. It's Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Yep. I love that movie. It's 
so crazy. Two guys, Harold and Kumar, get high, and then they just want White Castle, and ridiculousness ensues. They can't get to White Castle, and that's the whole movie. I love that movie. I've seen it a bunch. Like I said, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. That might set the framework, if you've seen any of those, about how this movie kind of goes down. Do you have any similar to this that you like? The first one that jumped out to me, and I don't know if you've seen it, is Fanboys, which was... I don't know when it came, 2006, 2007, is about four friends or five friends traveling to Skywalker Ranch to watch The Phantom Menace before it comes out, to be the first people in the world to see it. So it's set in 1999. It's got a, a really good cast. It's got uh, Mimi Siku from Jungle to Jungle, shout out to Tim Allen movies. It's got Kristen Bell before she was really famous. It's got... Uh, the fat Jewish bloke from um, Eddie Redmayne and his his magical bag, uh, Harry Potter movies that are out now. Um, yeah. I think it is very similar to this. You've got the friends who are doing something. The impetus is essentially the same. One of them is is dying, and you know they they come across all these characters along the way. I love Seth Rogen plays three different characters in it. One of them claims to have seen the movie and has a back tattoo the his entire back of jar jar binks uh, <laughs> saying how how massive he's gonna be i won't spoil the ending but uh i do like the last line in the film they're all sitting to watch it in the cinema when it finally gets released and one of them just says what if this turns out to be bad <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad <laughs> so i definitely recommend that if you're a star wars fan or a fan of the road trip movie and you've you've not seen it definitely check that out a goofy movie nice. is very similar to this. You've got people traveling across country. You've got, I suppose, the emotional hook, which is really what you need in this is, you know, Goofy obviously wanting to spend time with Max. I haven't seen it in a very long time. Space Cowboys, Clint Eastwood, and a bunch of, they play like astronauts. And then it's kind of Armageddon, but with old people. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that one. I don't even remember that much, but I know Clint Eastwood's in it and a bunch of other old actors, probably like a James Garner or someone like that. Donald right. Sutherland. Last Vegas just came to mind. I don't I don't really like the film, but it's that sort of one, you know, it's the one last yeah. ride. So, I mean, this is, as I say, this is not a movie that's doing anything that other movies haven't done and probably not doing anything other movies haven't done better. Agreed. Yeah, this has just a very specific niche audience. If you're a Pats fan like yourself it's great as far as the the subject matter in it but there's some a little bit of something for everyone in this movie yeah. joke wise but if you like football it's that kind of journey movie with a football backbone yeah exactly so one of the the best lines i think is from those pats fans as they uh they're doing a bit of a jump cut to talking about the super bowl and and setting that up rob codry says i'm more excited about the my own wedding yeah, and Alex Moffat says, "I'm much more excited than I was about your wedding." Yeah, that's a good line. So there's some pretty sharp comedy writing in this. I would, I would have to say, not, not all of it's great, and some of it feels a bit like where we going through the motions. But there are some genuinely funny lines in this, like laugh yep. out loud funnies. Uh, the girls getting ready to go to fly out to Houston for the Super Bowl, and Rita Moreno has a gentleman caller come to visit her. You probably would mm. recognize him as uh, the mayor in The Wire. Absolutely. Played by Glyn Turman. Love The Wire. As a matter of fact, I was just talking yesterday. I need to rewatch that series. Yeah, make you uh, feel right at home. It does. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because anytime I mention Baltimore throughout my whole life, 
maybe not so much anymore, but there was a long period of time where people were like, is it the wire? Is it like the wire? How much like the, it's always the perception is, and it's really, I mean, it is in, in that sense of those (laughs) parts, but that's like such a small part, a specific target area and part of Baltimore. But the wire used to film police stations and stuff used to film right near where I used to live. You know, I used to work in Canton. I used to live in Fells, and they used to film all around that area. <laughs> yeah, this guy comes to visit her, I suppose her boyfriend, and opens up about how he's felt since his wife's passed away and how he recognizes, you know, it's not about what you do, it's about who you do. And it gives quite a, a really nice speech. I've also never seen a man look more like a wooden puppet. <laughs> <laughs> Dude's hitting is what he's doing he's he's not shy about it at all <laughs> yeah he's uh he's trying to trying to lay wood and he looks over to see rita moreno's passed out because she's taken the wrong medication uh, and <laughs> yeah. he sort of is a bit displaced as he's been talking to himself so lily and the rest of the crew show up to pick up rita and the manager of the nursing home won't let them in because they're very strict about their sleep policy and she's asleep and, and they won't wake her up jane fonda turns on the charm to distract the manager, she goes and puts like a sexy wig on and is flirting with him and asking about his dog. Sally Field and Lily Tomlin then kidnap Rita uh, with a bit of help from her uh, her gentleman friend. He distracts everyone by getting on the tannoy and uh, saying Pat Sajak is in the building. Uh, I quite like this scene of them. It was very predictable, but it was fun. Like this is the whole thing is yep. everything about this movie is fun. It's very light. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's a very light movie. There was a funny scene. You mentioned that he said sleep is important to us. He's like, sleep is very important to us here. And then he points behind him, and on the wall it says, sleep is important to us here. <laughs> I, I actually laughed at that part. I was like, oh, that's funny. I always enjoy those jokes in a movie where the character's pulling the same like pulling the same face as they are in a photo or says exactly what it is on site. I feel like it's a very simple joke, but... Uh, Hits every time. It always gets me. They head to the airport. And they land in Houston for the Super Bowl, get to the hotel, Rita Moreno seals a life-size cutout of Julian Edelman, Lily Tomlin, on seeing a life-size cutout of Brady, says the real him is at least twice that size. (laughs) Right. And the cutout was probably six feet tall or something like that. I mean, it it was taller than her by a good amount. I think once you hit about six foot, those life-size cutouts aren't quite life-size, so... I have have notionally a life-size cutout of Michael Jordan that is not six foot six or six foot seven, however. No, yeah. Famously tall Jordan is. Yeah, there has to be a cutoff. I mean, otherwise, where would you put it? You know what I mean? You, <laughs> like, yeah. We can't get too big. What I do quite like, by the end of when they you see their room on the second day that they're there, they've got all the cutouts in the room. <laughs> they've got Edelman, Amendola, James White. Gronk, um, yep. That's great. So during the, the middle of the night, Lily gets a call from her daughter saying the hospital has been trying to contact her. Lily says she's just had some tests done and everything's fine. I don't want to point to how we watch this movie. I thought this was someone's phone going off in the background of what we were watching. I did too, yeah. And that happened for a couple moments. Yep. Again, not to say how we watched it, but go ahead and infer whatever you take from that. The sound might have been a little strange at times yeah yeah we watched it in an appropriate manner given brady retired as a buccaneer oh there it is and i'll just jump on your bandwagon (laughs) team sheehan is what i am (laughs) so it's it's now the next morning and lily gives sally field the tickets to look after 
and she calls her fanny pack or her bum bag her strap on and, and isn't that a funny joke <laughs> it's a funny joke <laughs> it's a funny joke they make half a dozen plus times that's the thing they keep bringing it up and to be honest there's one point where all right and then closer to the end of the movie they bring it up and and i laugh and uh, i guess we'll get to that where it's there but they're all telling her it's a fanny pack and she's like no if you wear it on your fanny it's a fanny but if you put it on here it's a strap on and you see like the waitress's face she's looking at them all weird everyone in the restaurant's looking at them weird they do bring it up a lot it makes blink 182 seem like very highbrow the strap on joke yeah because I'm going to be honest, I don't think I've thought about or giggled at the idea of a strap-on 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> at least. Yeah, at least. It was kind of shocking. It felt a little bit out of place, especially with the type of humor in this. Yeah, exactly. So Sally Field's got the tickets in her strap-on and the girls head to the NFL experience. Now, I have been to the NFL experience in Times Square. Awesome. How was it? I thought it was pretty fucking cool, to be honest. Yeah, it looks cool. There was a, like a 4D movie, which was you're sitting in a seat and you're getting jolted with the hits and snow coming down and confetti. It was really cool. VR games, you put on a headset and call plays, choose the right receiver to throw to. All the stuff they're doing in the film, like test your height and all that sort of stuff. I got a photo with the Lombardi trophy. Very cool. I got a photo with the ring that the Patriots won from this Super Bowl because I went just after this Super Bowl. Cool. I saw the set from Good Morning Football. And I've actually talked about my visit to the NFL experience previously because that's where they had the displays for every single team and all sorts of good shit. And for the Cardinals, they had a Rod Tidwell jersey. <laughs> that's right. Show me the money. A little seven degrees of separation for Jerry Maguire. Here's a little bonus just for you. A photo taken... Oh, look at that. That's awesome. Oh, that's so rad. You got to pick your favorite team and they're dumping Gatorade on it. (laughs) Good for you, man. That's awesome. I looked through all my photos from there, so I might post some of them on the the social account. So as they're walking into the NFL experience, Lily Tomlin says, this is better than my wildest dreams. And Rita Moreno replies with, not mine. Last night, I had a dream I was going down the Amazon River on a pickle with my paper mache children. <laughs> maybe, maybe the best line of the, of the movie. It's, it's close to it's really I mean, subtle too. Yeah, it's like in this movie, like we said, it's pretty light. And I, for the life of me, I love weird humor. I love it so much, and it was so weird. And I'm like, that's hilarious. It um. It really is. So they go, they kind of go their separate ways. They split up into to two groups and Lily and Rita Moreno go to a QB passing game. And if you've ever been to any sort of event, it's, you know, throw the ball into the the fake receiver and you get points, you know, more points the further away. Yep. Lily gets a vision of Tom Brady who tells her it's not about how hard you throw. It's all about accuracy and she ends up beating a young Falcons fan. And I, I'm going to say this is the best football player of the movie because all the best football players in the movie are from the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I feel they're unfair because they are very good football players. Edelman catch. Incredible. That's honestly, that's my favorite favorite football play in here. But you're right. it's That is a Super Bowl. It's not like part of the movie. But damn, that catch was so good. As incredible as that catch was, that Julio Jones one on the sideline. Oh, the toe tap drag 
He was so fucking good. Oh, so good. Yeah, the Edelman one was just so interesting because basically, we're, we're talking about it. We're in it now. He goes to catch the ball and he's covered by three defenders. He lands on them and essentially the ball bounces off one of the defender's legs and he just barely catches it, but it never touches the ground. It was like, to say inches is to say a lot. It was like right there. It was a great catch. Yep. But then the Julio one was Matt Ryan to Julio Jones on the side. And God, I just love Julio Jones. The way that he can perform, he's he's one of the best. I mean, he just basically was able to get that toe in and drag both feet. Uh, it, was, it was beautiful. If we look at that Super Bowl, because this is all about the Patriots, and I just want to make sure that we're a little fair, that Falcons team in 2017 was awesome. Yeah, they were. They were really good. Matt Ryan was great. He won the MVP that year. We play fantasy. A lot of people listening to this play fantasy. I had him in fantasy that year. He was basically a free pickup quarterback. Everyone was going for all the higher ends. He ended up number two on the season. Devontae Freeman, I also had him that year, and he became number sixth. So um, I had him and DeMarco Murray that year, who was number fifth. It was an unbelievable fantasy year. But yeah, Julio Jones, Matt Ryan, Devontae Freeman was also paired with um, Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman, yeah. And they were just a crazy dynamic duo. Like, you could not stop that run. So just a little shout out, another football tangent here. But um, I wanted to make sure that the Falcons got their props. All those Atlanta fans out there are probably itching in their skin when people talk about the Super Bowl. Yeah, that team was sick. Uh, Alex Mack, the center. They had uh, Mo Sanuit, receiver. They had... Um... Taylor Gabriel, that little vertical slot guy, he was so fast. Oh, yeah. They were a really fun team. I had Julio in fantasy that year, and it talks about Edelman being my favorite player of all time. Julio was number two, and until the last couple of years after he left the Falcons, up until that point, he was averaging 95 yards per game. It's Incredible. And obviously, sick. I think he's he's basically done now, but he, ironically enough, I suppose, finished his career playing alongside Tom Brady for the Bucks and was Brady's number one receiver in brady's last game that's perfect that's perfect yeah julio jones was the first dynasty fantasy team that i ever did he was my first pick and mine too nice he was my first ever fantasy pick and my first ever dynasty pick beautiful there we go a lot of julio love yeah absolutely loved him maybe he dropped like 300 yards on the panthers every year oh yeah so good and just to, I suppose, put a bow on the Edelman catch, I love the footage where he's talking, I think it might be Robert Alford, and they're both pointing at different screens in opposite directions, being like, no, look, 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 yep. to each other. This is the best football player of the movie. Rita Moreno's essentially doing like the Richie Cunningham underarm and lobbing them in, and this the, the young guy's getting more and more and more upset, and she's dabbing, and in that funny yep. old woman doing a dab, like... It's right. like the 90s trope of the grandma rapping. When they went to do it, the guy got really upset. And so they decided to make a bet. And it was basically, this guy's a Falcons fan, they're a Patriots fan. And they were like, you got to take off that Falcons jersey. And they're like, you got to wear the Brady jersey. And he's like, double or nothing. And she obviously wins. Now, there was like a guy dressed as a ref that was officiating the game. The guy's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't allow betting here. But they don't pay me that much. Go ahead. And just walked away. It was like kind of random. They make that joke like three times in the movie. 
Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it wasn't that funny the first time. Exactly. But yeah, she ends up with this stack of Falcons jerseys next to her as she keeps like rinsing all these Falcons fans. You're putting your football moment on this one. I'm putting my flag on part of this one. Flag on the play. Yes, there are penalties in the throw Flag on the play. Yeah, yeah. Flag on the play here because she gets a lot of points. She makes a bet with the guy to have to wear a jersey. They give her a Super Bowl Tom Brady jersey. You don't give that away to a Falcons fan who loses a bet. No way, man. You're getting a Super Bowl Tom Brady jersey right there for basically doing nothing. You don't give it away. It hurt me when she's like, you have to wear this. Yeah. Did you feel that pain? I sort of did. I was like, this is a weird element. Because it's sort of like, the first time around I watched it, it was like, oh, choose your, your shirt. And I was like, oh, it's probably just like a t-shirt. No, it's like a Brady jersey for getting 30 points in this thing. And she just keeps racking him up and racking him up and racking him up. And this is like a common trope without the whole, everything they do, they're the best at. Yeah. Get to more of that. I was going to throw my challenge flag here as well, but for something different. Let's hear it. I'm going to throw my challenge flag, but also say that I absolutely love it. So it becomes a running thread throughout this that Rita Moreno is like a gambling savant. But right at the start, she's like, oh, my husband, uh, he was a big gambler and, you know, he used to always lose, but like we do things and I'd win. Ha ha ha. And then by the end of the movie, she's like fucking Fred Flintstone being like, bad, 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 bad. <laughs> Anytime the opportunity comes up. And I love it, but I feel like that is challenge flag worthy. Just this, everything she does from this point on, which gambling on it. And I just like, this is a weird thing that they've done with this. Yeah. Becoming a gambling addict as a plot point. It's a weird, yeah. a weird device. Yeah. Let's just make her. Like, she doesn't do it, and then by the end, she's just addicted to it. Like, needs <laughs> help addicted. Great plot point. Put it in. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's my challenge flag. There might be a, another one later, but we'll see. I'm pretty sure, and I could be wrong, and maybe I'm just a racist, but I'm 99% sure that the Falcons fan here is played by a guy called Stevie Baggs Jr., who not only was a successful player in Canadian football, because I was watching, I've been like, this guy's played some football, like the way he's slinging it. But he was on the practice squad for the Jags, the Lions, the Cardinals, and the Ravens over the course of his wow. career. Really? Uh, he's now an actor. Yeah, it doesn't ring a bell, but, you know, I certainly believe you. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought so too. So he was, as I say, he's quite successful in um, Canadian football. I don't think he ever played a snap in the NFL. So while this nonsense is going on, at the accuracy competition, uh, Jane Fonda and Sally Field go off and find an area selling uh, Jane's Gronk porn book. Uh, we always said, already said she was sort of an erotic author. Her book, Between a Gronk and a Hard Place, yeah. is on sale, and she's caught by an employee as she's signing the book. Uh, the employee says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a big fan. Like, is there another one coming out? Jane Fonda said, oh, yeah, we've got, like, We Wish You Were Merry Gronkmas or Gronk for the Holidays or something like that is coming out. And her reply, the holidays are a very sexual time for me, really tickled me. Yeah, that was another one of those out-of-left-field jokes that um, yep. that I like. You know, if you can surprise me. Yeah, it was pretty funny. And their response was good, too. They just both kind of 
stared at her <laughs> and they just sat with that for a second and then they moved on in, in the scene. Well, Sally Field goes off to find some barbecue. She says, we're in, we're in Texas. I'm going to get some barbecue. And Jane Fonda ends up doing a live reading of her book. Reads the entire book, mind you, in a very mm. short amount of time. It looked like it's a, you know, I'm, I am a very fast reader. I've done speed reading courses. Like one of these things where I will read an email and then not reply immediately. Cause I, people will be like, how did you, you know, you clearly haven't read the email, but Ugh, I know that we've, tried to do book readings on on this one and you're you're crazy fast and i read i'm i'm, I'm a big reader you know from the literary thing but you're like i'm done well I'll like tell you <laughs> hey we should do a podcast on this book like 10 minutes later you're like i finished it i'm done <laughs> you ready to podcast <laughs> like no man i need a week come on <laughs> <laughs> what can i say it was just a really good book and in fact well let me let me ask you we've never released that episode would you rather read Gronk if you're horny or whatever this book is, or Hail Mary. Hey, you kind of got me stuck here, man. Kind <laughs> 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 of put me in a hard, hard spot to answer this one. It's it's tough. You know, I just I couldn't read any. If I'm being dead serious, I couldn't read any like erotica stuff. I don't know how people do it. I think it's. I think it's very strange to me. I certainly couldn't do it about Grunk. I don't want that lens. I don't want to see him in that lens at all. Um, so it would be Hail Mary, but uh, that book was tough to get through, man. It was. It really was. So uh, Jane Fonda does this live reading and she meets Harry Hamlin, LA Law's uh, own Harry Hamlin. Got a great case for you for LA Law. Uh, who was an ex-NFL player, said he played for the Raiders and the Patriots, and they hit it off. As we talked about, Sally Field goes on a quest to find some barbecue, and lo and behold, she finds herself at, why the hell not, Guy Fieri's Hot Wing Eating Contest. Extreme! (laughs) Extreme, off the hook. Absolutely. Of course, Sally Field ends up winning it. She says to Guy Fieri, unless it has Guy Fieri, sorry, Guy, it, unless it has extreme flavor, I can't taste anything anymore. And that's kind of the where the birth of hot sauce began anyway with miners who were spending too much time and, and needed some flavor in their food. This is not how spice works. Spice is not a flavor. Spice is a reaction. You can get different yep. flavors from spice, but just because you can't taste flavor doesn't mean you don't feel spice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a physical reaction as well as a, a yep. taste reaction. It is. And judging by every old person I've ever met, like, they find garlic and onion too strong. So Yeah, it goes the other way, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, oh, that's too much for me. Doritos, yeah. no, it's too too intense. <laughs> Not Doritos Extreme, just Doritos. It's like, I don't know, I can wash these chips off for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure my dad got the bland meal last time he was on a flight. Like, it's just... Right. Just ridiculous. So... Ends up in this, um, as I say, the hot wing eating contest. Yeah, have you ever done any of these food challenges, food contests, anything like that? I have. So I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I am a big heat guy. I love heat and spice. Like, spicier the better. My dad is that way. He used to actually, like, mess with me when I was a kid. He'd give me, like, something that was, like, super spicy, and then he would laugh and his friends would laugh as I, like, died in front of them. He's, it was funny though. I get it now as an adult at the time, I didn't get it. <laughs> but um, I may cut that out, but my sister's really big into it. I went through this time where we were doing all those challenges at work 
like the saltine challenge and all those. We So I did a ghost pepper challenge with that. That was fine. Really, when I think of spo- Spice, the biggest story that I can think of is every year for a long time, I went to this event that comes to Maryland called Beer, Bourbon, and Barbecue. Ooh. Yeah. It's exactly what it sounds like. There's no surprises there. It's a whole event just with beer, bourbon, and barbecue. And people come from all over the country and do this touring event. And so I would go every year. I'd go with um, you know my sister, as I mentioned. Uh, Thomas Grady, fan of the show. He was there this year. And they had... Tom Grady? Thomas Grady, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. The, the, is, the is, he, is he a fan of the Grew England Greatriots? <laughs> yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So he was there. Big fan of the show. <laughs> I, I played Grotta back. I mean, at, le- <laughs> at least up until this one. We may have just <laughs> lost a fan here. Shout out, um, Thomas. <laughs> Shout out. Sorry. Growled out, Thomas. Anywho, so at Beer, Bourbon, and Barbecue, there was a stand, and they had, it was a world contest for the hottest hot sauce, and they had the third hottest sauce in the world. And what they would do is they'd give you, like, a giant chip, basically the size of your hand, and they'd take an eyedropper, and they just drop some of the (laughs) hot sauce on it. (laughs) Am I losing you? (laughs) <laughs> I'm genuinely laughing about you <laughs> washing off the Doritos joke from like five minutes ago. <laughs> it's fantastic. That was like a little landmine joke. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was funny, and then you were talking about this giant chip. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, sorry. <clears throat> okay, so at Beer Bourbon Barbecue with my friends. So they had the third hottest sauce in the world, so they say. And they give you this giant chip, little tiny eyedropper of hot sauce on it. So of course we're doing it. Now at the time I had I worked with a good buddy of mine and he was Korean. So he showed up with a group of Korean friends. And look, I don't speak anything associated with Korean <laughs> at all. But I know when I'm being made fun of. And these dudes were straight up mocking me. And the one dude said to my face, like, the the white American guy find the hot sauce hot? And they all laughed. Now me, I will say I ate this and it was hot. It was one of those heat where you could just feel it going down your throat Mm. for like like a half hour. I was like, where is this coming from? This dude that made fun of me put it in his mouth instantly face turned blood red and he started crying and i lost it i was getting close oh it was just mockery for days i'm like is that hot is that hot (laughs) how bad is that oh you you can't talk you can't speak see i don't know if that counts as a hot a spicy food challenge but that's the one that came to mind oh that's fantastic that is terrific so i think i've talked about this before so the first time i went to new york uh, 2015 Valentine's Day, funnily enough, around the time this would come out. Uh, my best mate and I were doing a bit of a, a tour around America. We'd been to Vegas, been to San Francisco, been to Chicago. And we we're both fans of man versus food. And so generally in every city, we tried to go to somewhere that Adam had been on there. And we had more success in some place than others. We went to a burrito place in Mission. All the ones he went to in Vegas had, had closed. I don't think we'd bother doing one in Chicago. Maybe we got some big 
deep dish pizza or something like that. But right. it, as far as eating challenges go, I would say I'm Adrian Peterson, like volume, speed. I'm your guy. Nice. He's more your third down back. Spice can hit you with the speed as well, but incredible tolerance for spice. So if it was a, a like a volume challenge, I'd be on it. Spice challenge. So I'd done this big burrito in San Francisco. We got to New York and I said, we got to go to this Indian restaurant. We both love Indian food. Go to Brick Lane Curry House. Don't know if it's still there, but their deal was the chicken fowl, the hottest curry in the world. The guy making it cooked it in a gas mask. What? Yeah, yeah. And on the show, Adam says to the guy, like, have you tried this? Like, no, I'm not fucking stupid. Yeah. So, like, this is this is a, like a fair dinkum spicy curry, world's hottest curry. It is snowing outside. And my mate, my mate downs this curry very, very quickly. I have a video of him doing it. And he gets yeah. the few mouthfuls. A few mouthfuls, he's like, this is really fucking hot. I just have to keep going. It's one of these things, if you think about it, you're, you're done. Like, you just have to keep shoveling it in. Right. So he gets the bottom of it, gets a certificate, gets his beer uh, to celebrate, and he goes and stands outside in just a T-shirt and the trousers or jeans <laughs> he was wearing and then takes off his shirt in the snow. Whoa. So I'm, I wasn't, at this time, a big Spice guy. Since I had COVID the first time, I'm now, like, through the roof with Spice. But I was never a really big Spice guy. I tried some on my pinky and could taste it long after. Yeah. We left this restaurant, we're walking back towards Times Square, crossing Madison Avenue. Yep. And he says, mate, I need to sit down. I've just seen a tiger in a business suit crossing the road. What? So hot, he was delirious. Yeah, that was incredible. And then there was another time where, and I think sometimes it's a bit performative where they make you sign a waiver and stuff like that. You had to do that for the third hottest sauce. They made you sign <laughs> off on it. We're at this barbecue place in Newcastle, which is um, north of England, and they had a wing challenge. And if you, I actually had to ask him the other day, I was like, what did you get for that? I said, what did you get when you did that hot wing challenge in Newcastle? And his response was about a week of diarrhea. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, he's sitting there with the gloves on. He got, he got a t-shirt and his photo on the wall. It's like, yeah, that was a killer. I don't think he really does them too much anymore because he, you know, we're both older and far more serious, but I'm still a fan of a sneaky eating challenge. And from time to time, I'll see one and be like, I reckon I could take a crack at that. Yeah. The older I get to, the more my stomach can't handle it. Like I can handle it, but I'm telling you that toilet time becomes dangerous. The more spice you eat, it can get bad, but I used to be fine. I used to take it in. I'd sweat. Like my lips would swell. My ears would burn. I'd be fine. Now there are repercussions, but I can't stay away from it. I can't kick it. I love the spice. I was once the fastest person to eat a steak at a place. <laughs> I, I think I'd give myself a heart attack if I did that. Now. <laughs> I hope you got some sort of trophy or at least like a sticker or something for that. That's quite an accomplishment. Name on the board. Nice. Hey, hey. Don't underrate a name on a board. I know. Well, like Sally Field, she ends up winning here. Blitzes the competition. And then Rita, Sally, and Lily all go eat brisket with Guy Fieri. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is as close to my dream as anything we've seen on this podcast. I love (laughs) Guy Fieri. Love Guy Fieri. It's wild. Yeah, I didn't really know that until, well, I guess today. You do, you have the the love for Guy. I watch a lot of Guy's grocery games, or we watch a lot of Guy's grocery games in the house. I have a Guy Fieri matching shirt and shorts. 
I would uh, I would kill. I would kill to meet Guy. I'm a I'm just a really big fan. That's awesome. Like very few people have a bad word to say about him. He's a big football guy. Like does a lot for charity. Does a lot for charity when people aren't looking. Apparently, so like he just everything about him. Like yeah, he's a bit cringeworthy, but everything about him is positive. Like he's about building people up, and yeah, you know, yeah, he's a bit over top. But also, I, I love a diner driving and dive. That's what I'm saying. There's some places around here that are mar- that were on that show, and they're great. They're phenomenal. Hmm. Let's even put the charity aside. Him just pointing out like little dives that are amazing to eat at doing the world a service right there you know what i mean like i love a good dive that just has the most amazing food and he's made a career off of letting us know what those are Mm. yeah i've Mm. been to one of the ones in london wasn't that good but i think i i think i was watching an episode i asked you if you'd been to a place that i think i'd seen on diners drives and dives you were like yeah it's fucking awesome yep yep uh but free advice for anyone listening to this watch guys grocery games it is the best show on tv good uh good tip Jane Fonda rocks up and tells them they've been invited to a party by Harry Hamlin, a party that Guy Fieri says he's going to go to, and it's going to be off the hook. Yeah. Because what a house party with Guy Fieri is not off the hook. So the girls all get doled up. They go to Harry Hamlin's house party. Sally Field learns about negging. Apparently, it's like 2003. Sally, Rita, and Lily all accidentally take edibles. Then it gets wild. Oh, yeah. They all kind of go off and have their own little adventures, but... Sally realizes she's left the tickets in her strap-on at the hot wing challenge. So disaster, Lily's beside herself and the rest of them are all like, you know, you got to chill out, you got to have fun. Blah, blah. They're trying to find Guy Fieri so they can go get, get the tickets. strap-on back. Rita thinks she spots him and follows him upstairs, walks into a poker game and she looks at the table and she sees everyone is Guy Fieri. <laughs> and she takes off her eyes wide shut mask because they're convinced there's like an eyes wide shut sex room there. And she right. finds this mask on the wall, puts it on, takes it off. And then she's Guy Fieri. Again, we t- it turns into Fred Flintstone at any mention of gambling. She's playing poker with Patton Oswalt, who she nicknames Brisket. I love Patton Oswalt, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I do. He always shows up. and He shows up in so much. He's in like everything. A few episodes back when we talked about Santa's sleigh. And the guy from that's in everything. Patton Oswalt's in everything. He's in Secret Life of Walter Mitty that I mentioned earlier. I saw him in Baltimore once. Just said mm. hi to him. It was cool. He was outside his trailer uh, smoking a cigarette. I don't know if Patton Oswalt wants that to be known, but I was walking the dogs around the harbor and I was a ways away, but you know, water carries. Like you can hear stuff mm. all over the harbor. I was walking with a friend and I was like, that's Patton Oswalt. And he looked up he was on his phone and he looked up and then it was this awkward thing where he like kind of waved (laughs) and i kind of it was like we were too far away to know and then i was just like hey what's up pat and and he was like hey and then that was it it's my pat and oswald story it's pretty cool that's about as many lines as he gets in there (laughs) yeah exactly so pat Oswald's playing marshall lynch is playing uh, billy porter is playing and retta uh from parks and rec is playing there's someone else as well i weren't quite sure who they were uh and i couldn't find an imdb so shout out to you other person, person. it was cool mm. that marshawn lynch was in there though just here yeah. so we don't get fined biscuits and gravy <laughs> of course because they're the best at everything rita moreno cleans them all out uh she doesn't realize it's all for charity when she's trying to cash out but she ends up giving it all to billy porter's charity broadway cares and that makes sense because Rita Moreno, just a all-time star of Broadway. One of the greats. 
Yeah. Um, Sally and Lily end up on a dance floor outside. Sally accidentally knocks some guy in the eye and sort of ends up trying to flirt with him, but can't find anything to neg him about. Oh, her husband rings and she's kind of like, you fuck off, mate. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that was her growth as a character is kind of like she's basically telling them like, look, I love you, but you got to make decisions. Like, I can't be doing this anymore. Yep. Probably the least growth of any character, but, you know, it was that was her moment. Yes. Yeah. So this young guy almost ends up, uh, goes to kiss her and she's like, well, dude, like, no, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're super young. Lily's daughter calls her and Lily tells her that she hasn't looked at the results from the hospital t- tests yet because she's too afraid of what they're going to say. She hangs up and says she's looking for Guy Ferrari and he looks like a flaming hot Cheeto. That's a good line. It is. It absolutely is. And then she stumbles in on Jane Fonda and Harry Hamlin making out in the closet. And then Lily sort of gives them all a bit of a spray for abandoning her. It's now game day. They wake up and they go to find the lost tickets, but the NFL experience is closed. I must say, I loved their bedazzled Patriots jerseys. Yeah. Yeah, They've all got 80 for Brady on the back, except for Sally Field, who has crossed out with 70 for Brady. They look fantastic. Yeah, they do look good. So they all kind of go their separate ways to try and find either the tickets or tickets to the game. Rita Moreno goes to try and find a scalper and haggles over the price of the tickets. That was quite funny. That was good. She started really low, but she just kept quickly raising the price. It was one of these classics, I'll give you $100 each. I can't do that. What are you telling me? You're not going to take 150? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to be um, able to take 200. Yeah. 300? You got to tell me you do. Yeah, it was, it was, it was good. Jane finds the live broadcast of the Pats fan show that Lily won the tickets from, and it turns out, shock horror, bum bum bum, she didn't actually win the tickets. What? A group of four guys, all called Tom Brady, did. Yeah. The reason the guys got the tickets is it was a support group and they were all sad because they could never live up to Tom Brady's name. <laughs> they weren't even football fans. It was just a group of guys sitting around that looked proper depressed, like they were disheveled and sad. Yeah. yeah. And Jane even asked, are they all Pats fans? They're like, yeah, they're conflicted about it. Sally's husband calls her again and asks which version of his academic paper he should publish. She's like, I don't know, man. I haven't read him. He's like, can you go to Kinko's and print one off? She's like, no, I'm at the Super Bowl. Sort your fucking shit out. You're a grown man. Sort your fucking shit out. That was the growth scene. Sally finds the wing truck and says to him, where's Guy Fieri? She says he's in the office, which Sally then realized means he's taking a shit in one of the portaloos. Yep. Knocking on all the doors trying to find him. I think that this was one of the funnier lines because she's she's banging on the doors and she's like... Guy, guy, I, you have my strap on. I need my strap yeah. on. And Guy Fieri gets out and real quickly and real quietly goes, oh, I thought you were someone else. And then they go into the conversation. <laughs> it was like this real quick joke that I was like, I got it. I love it. Yeah, that was uh, that was really good. And that's what I was referring to earlier. They kept bringing up the strap on thing and they mentioned it a lot. But that line, I was like, that's great. <laughs> I hate portable toilets, those portaloos. Never, never pleasant so bad we have preakness here there's this game that happened for a long time and i think they put a stop to it was was 
the running of the porta pots and people would run across the top of them and they would always fall or fall in or knock them over. And they were adamant about stopping it every single year and every single year people would do it. Fantastic. The last time I was anywhere near a, uh, a portable toilet outside a pub visiting my mate and he went, like we weren't that far from the, the portable toilets. We, like there was, wasn't a lot of space in this outdoor area. He goes to, comes back and he's like, someone's taken a, like this big shit there that's not flushing. We had a little bit of a laugh about it. And then we were close enough to see, and we would see people like come, go in, and then come back out almost <laughs> like immediately. immediately. Bolt. Yeah. And then there was this old hippie looking dude who went in and like clearly did his business in there, came out. And as he was coming out, someone was in line and he goes, I'm just going to let you know, someone's done a massive fucking shit in there. <laughs> And then we burst out laughing. He's looked over. That's great. That's great. And he sort of he did this gesture with his hands as if to demonstrate the size of it. That's good stuff. So Sally finds the wing track. Yep, goes to find Guy Fieri, and she gets her strap on back. Whilst this is going on, Lily goes to the ticket office, and she's trying to tell the woman the tickets are lost. You know, we had tickets. Can't you do anything? And She's sort of a bit down and out. And again, Tom Brady appears from the screen and says to her, like, whenever you're down, all it is is a chance for an amazing comeback and tells her she's just to shout out, everything's going to be okay or something. She's doing that. And the woman's just looking at me like, what the fuck are you doing, Lily Tomlin? Like, yeah, what are you doing? So the girls find her and they tell her got the tickets back. They're all really happy. They go to go into the game and what do you know? The tickets are fake. Wah, wah, wah. Let me ask you this. At what point did you realize this movie was going to have the same plot as that episode of The Simpsons we watched? <laughs> that that moment? <laughs> it really was <laughs> the exact same plot. Really? Hard, hard seven degrees of separation. It's not even seven degrees. It's like one, one degree, this, same plot. This is yep. the plot of that. <laughs> even to the point where the guy showing, oh, it has holographic tickets on there. That's like the the holographic thing. It's like the line from The Simpsons. Yep, and then the Simpsons—he doesn't eat the tickets. Was, he goes, "These are crackers, these are graham crackers," and they eat. Them. There's no team called the Spungos. <laughs> right? Yeah, same plot. Uh, sorry, fellas, but these tickets are counterfeit. What? Counterfeit? Yeah. See, the hologram's missing, and there's no such team as the Spungos. And finally, these seem to be printed on some sort of cracker. Stop eating our tickets! Oh, how could I fall for fake tickets? I very early, well, at the point of watching the trailer, I was like, I know exactly what this movie is going to be. They're going to go. There's going to be an issue. One of them's going to be dying. Like it's that's yep. that's where it's going to be. And very early on, I was like, well, obviously they're not going to win the competition. She's going to have to sold all her stuff to get these tickets. They're going to get there, and tickets going to be fake straight away. Called it, and that's exactly what the the plot is here. So. So the girls kick up a bit of fuss being like, I can't believe you won fake tickets. And Jane Fonda's like, no, she didn't actually win. And Lily tells them like she maxed out her credit cards, sold her car so they could all have one last unforgettable trip before it was too late. And immediately they're like, okay, cool. Like everything that happens, they just take in their stride. It's true. And it was right back on task. How do we get in? There's not even like a, like a cutaway where like Jane Fonda and Sally Field are talking like, that's was pretty fucked up. Like we know Jane Fonda, she's like fucking lying to us. Like, what's going on here? Like, right. 
she fucking dying? Yeah. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> can we convey, like, if she's dying, can we confront her? Like, do we tell her, like, do we know that she's alive? Or we just... You know 100% any friend would have that conversation. You know, we're in Grace and Frankie together, right? I thought we were friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> we all guest starred on The Simpsons. Come on. I was on The Muppets. We were both on The Muppets. Remember The Muppets. <laughs> Remember. I really liked Ron Funches as the security guard. I think he does a great job as King Shark in the uh, animated Harley Quinn show as well. I haven't been able to watch that one yet. I remember for our one episode, you sent me clips and it looks hilarious. So I, I need to put it's that so back good. on my rotation. Yeah. It's so good. So they're trying to work out how to get in. And again, this is the exact plot of the Simpsons episode we watched. Rita sees Billy Porter, who is choreographing the halftime show and asks if he can let them in now. Hard seven degrees, six degrees as well. It is the Lady Gaga halftime show, our favorite halftime show. Yeah, Seven Degrees. Check out our last podcast. Just to reiterate, that guy was at the poker game, so that's how they knew yep. him to get in. Obviously, security's like, nope, you guys can't come in here. And he's like, these are my backup dancers. And I think anyone who's seen the commercial saw this part. And he's basically like, what do you guys, what can you guys do? And they start telling mm. him all these old dances, like, I can do the Foxtrot, and I can do... You know, the tw- the twist. I can do the Charleston. <laughs> I can do the Charleston. And then they do it. And the, uh, surprise, surprise, they get in. Yeah. Unlike the Simpsons episode where they see the, the halftime dancers' outfits. Do they beat them up? They, they push it into the security guard. <laughs> That's right. They see the outfits on them and they attack the security guard with it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they do this dance routine of sorts, and the guard even says, like, I know they're not dancers, but that was amazing. But it's essentially the same joke as the, like, the the ref guy from the QB thing of being like, it's the bait and switch, but it's barely bait, and then the switch is not not really worthwhile. So the girls get in, and they find four seats and settle in for the game. They get shown on the Jumbotron, and Rita Moreno's like, sort of doing a soft moon through her pants. Yeah. At the, ju- the Jumbotron, like if you go to a live sports game or whatever, it, ju- it tends to jump around between people. Like, oh, look, there's people sure. doing... This is like parked on them, like it was parked on Tim Allen in that episode of Home Improvement we watched. Have you been on the Jumbotron ever? Have we talked about this in a podcast? Uh, I was on the Jumbotron at the Darts last year at the Darts World Championships dressed as Wario. Oh, nice. That's a good one. My mate's dad was on the Jumbotron abusing an umpire in slow motion. He goes, that's bullshit. That's funny. I like that. Yo, know, for me, it was always like my dream to be on the Jumbotron when I was young. I always wanted to be on it, was never on it. I have a daughter, as I mentioned. So I wanted to take her to her first game, you know, her first baseball game. So I went all out. I got really good tickets. And I know I'm biased, but she's the cutest kid that ever existed in the history of of humans. So we were there. We were doing our thing. And I was turning away talking to someone else in the stands, you know, just being social. And she tugs at me and she's like, Dad, we were on the Jumbotron. And the people behind me are like, you were on the Jumbotron. And I was like, I missed it. Like my whole life, I've been waiting to be on this jumbotron. And I was like, I was kind of like, are you guys, are you guys fucking with me? Is this real? And they were like, no, you were absolutely on it. And I was like, oh, come on. And then they switched back and put us back on. And so finally, I got to see it. I mean, of course, it was because I was with with the kid. But then her expectations for the jumbotron were just 
out of control. Like the next game we went to, she's like, oh, I want to get on the Jumbotron again. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Wait a minute. I've waited a lifetime and that's the only time. She's like, no, it's cool. We'll get on there again. They'll put us on. <laughs> what have I done? I love the clips that sometimes I see on Instagram and generally from a hockey or basketball game where they do the lookalikes in the crowd. Oh yeah, those are funny. I'm a, I'm a bit of a like kiss cam and stuff. Like that. Although I quite like the uh, the kiss cam setup this year with the, was it the Chicago Bulls mascot and like some other cow mascot, and like they kept panning to it, and then the <laughs> the bull kissed the cow mascot, and then like his bull wife catches them, <laughs> and he's last seen <laughs> running out of the arena. I was like, that's re- that's really clever bit that they've um, they've done there. The security guard who wouldn't let them in is like taking matters into his own hands. Not happening. So he goes and and grabs. Him. He says, "Come on, Golden Girls." We said, "Come on, come on, Golden Girls." I don't know how you ladies got into this stadium, but I know how you're getting out. Ship and does the like what's got two thumbs and like whatever gesture. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so as they're getting escorted out by Chip, they bump into Harry Hamlin. Who invites them into his private box? Rita's, for whatever reason, Rita's gentleman friend calls her. He knows she's at the Super Bowl. It's during the Super Bowl. He talks about that he used to be a wingback. Reminded me, I don't know if his last Super Bowl, the Super Bowl before, where they they crossed her Joe Biden and his wife. And this guy's so fucking old that he talked about playing flanker back. <laughs> I was like, come on, Joe, flanker like, back. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was a flanker man. <laughs> I used to play stickball with my kids. <laughs> I used to play without a helmet before Teddy Roosevelt made him. So Rita's gentleman friend calls her and she's like, I'm not coming back to the... Uh, he's like, uh, some people are wondering when you come... It's been two days, man. Just chill. Just chill. I know you've not got a lot of time left. Chill. And she says to him she's not moving back into the toilet home, but, you know, you're welcome to come around whenever you want. So... Hey-o. I, I don't know. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, I suppose. And what do you know? The Pats are getting done. And at 28 what? to 3, all seems lost. Oh, no. I might have talked about this on the show before. So the Super Bowl's on late at night here. And I think it was on a little bit later than it normally would be. And I set my alarm for the wrong time. Oh, no. And so I woke up at the tail end of the halftime show and the pats were down and i was Ooh. like well i'm already wait i'm supposed i'm gonna stay out and i'm gonna watch it and yep. i decided not to go downstairs at the time i just stayed in bed and was watching it on i think on my laptop my phone whatever it was and the game was getting further and further out of reach and then we all know what happens yep it's pat start coming back it's the middle of the night i'm in bed next to my significant other i am at this point unemployed because my visa had run out and I was waiting to transfer, so I wasn't working. She had work the next day. It's Sunday night here, rolling into Monday morning. And I'm getting more and more excited. Like It had to be one or two in the morning. Oh, it absolutely was. Yeah. Losing my shit, like like yelling into my pillow and like like trying to go absolutely nuts as this comeback's out. And she, Can you shut the fuck up? <laughs> go to sleep. I trust her. I was like, I'm sorry. Like I ended up watching the game, and it's like this time of year. It is cold. I went and watched it in the bathroom. I'm not. Re- I'm not a big pajama guy, but yeah. like, I was very, very cold watching it in the bathroom. Like <laughs> biting into a towel, right. so excited, <laughs> losing my mind. 
pacing around the room, listening on my headphones as the as this this comeback was happening. So I will always remember it, but it is one of these things. And then we were watching the movie together, and I was like, "This is where I was losing my shit." And you were like, "Shut the fuck up!" Was this moment? She's like, "Oh wow!" It's like, yeah, you know, this is. So it was nice after all this time, I suppose, to be able to share it with her. Yeah, as someone that watched the the whole thing, I have to tell you now, I'm a Ravens fan. You're a Pats fan. Now, as someone that is in the AFC, we play the Pats a lot. So I, I it typically, the Pats have been so good that I tend to root against them. We've had a lot of, you know, like Pats fans hate Ray Lewis. And so I remember going into that game really wanting the Falcons to win. Like I said, the Falcons had a great year. They're just all those guys. I was I was like really in into the Falcons that year. The game was so boring. Like they were blowing them out so much that again, I don't really have a dog in that fight, you know, as far as my personal team, but it got to the point where I wanted the Patriots to do something. I switched mid-game just because they <laughs> were getting stomped so bad. I'm like come on, you know, like get it together, you know, because like you and me, we're football fans. So we have our teams and we root for our teams, but we like guys on every team. We respect the game. We respect talent. And it got to the point where I'm like, I know, I know the Pats are better than this. Like, what are you guys doing? Like lock it up. So I started rooting for the Patriots to just do, you know, come back, like do Mm. something. In the movie they mentioned, they had a 0.7% chance of winning that game before they even started their comeback, which is less than a percent. Crazy. But yeah, then they started dominating, and I'm sitting here rooting for the Pats, and uh, I'll remember that game too. It was the best Super Bowl comeback that I've ever watched. If I've watched it subsequently to watching this. I'm like, I haven't watched it for a little while. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. And I said last week, it was a shit game of two very one-sided halves. And that's exactly what it is. That second, like, the Falcons' offense is barely on the field. By the end, the Falcons' defense are just gassed. And that's why Brady marches down the field on him so often. Like, they've played like 26 minutes out of half an hour or something like that because the Falcons just, like, the offense can't get anything going. Right. Um, the only real big play they have once it goes is that Julio catch. And then immediately there's a sack straight after that knocks him out of field goal range. So um, we'll get we'll get to that in a bit because I've got notes about it all. So uh, about the game at twenty at, at, at you'll see at twenty eight three. Yeah, Rita makes a bet with the owner of the Skybox that he's like the Pats aren't going to win. She's like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> eat that gamble. Mama needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> bad, 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 bad. Barney. She bets him that the Patriots are going to come back and win. Lily is sick of sitting around. She goes to do something about it and leads all the girls around the other side of the field to the coordinator's box. Now, no one in this film gets a better fucking glow up than Matt Patricia and the guy playing Matt Patricia. Just a guy with a beard and a hat. A hundred percent. I can't stand fat cunt Trisha. I didn't like him as a defensive coordinator. I didn't think he was that good. He was a yeah. dick in Detroit, and he's back this year, and he fucked up Matt Jones. I hate the cunt. Hate him. Yeah. You bearded fuck. Should we take five? Nah, fuck him. Walk it off. Walk it off. <laughs> fuck. Fuck the cunt. <laughs> Sally, Fe- 
Sally Field does what anyone with two brain cells to rub together would do. Tells him to go from cover to, you fuck off with your bend, don't break defense. Yep. Oh, we're gonna... No. 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 He, he cost him the fucking Super Bowl against the Eagles. Just, you got a lot okay of... With you that. got a lot deep of... Deep breaths. A lot of fuck deep... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of bent up stuff coming out right now. <laughs> I feel like I'm your therapist. I even have in my notes here, guy playing fat cunt Trisha. <laughs> Sally Field tells the switch to cover one and start to blitz with the linebackers. And before, you know, the play call goes in and before fat cunt Trisha can do anything about it, the play calls in and there's a, a sack. Sally Field starts to call plays. Yep. And Lily gets on the headset to Brady and tells him what he means to her. 16 years ago, he helped her through her cancer treatments and she drew strength from his story, tells him never give up that, and she won't give up either. And that if he'll fight, that she'll fight. It's a beautiful, passionate speech because it is about like the people who hate you respect you. Yep. Right here. There's nothing you can't do. Right here, brother. I cried genuinely both times because it very much captures like, I wouldn't say he's my hero, but I take a lot from the Tom Brady story. And there are certainly times where I think about you're down, you're behind, whatever it is. Like if Tom can do it, I can do it. And it really is that thing. If, if he can come from 199th, then anything is possible. Like yep. he just works harder than anyone else. That's his whole thing. He studies harder, works harder, was driven to be the best. And it's that whole, like there is strength to be taken from the Tom Brady story. And I, I totally fucking get it. And so when at the end of the speech, he turns around and yells, let's fucking go. I am in tears and ready to run through a fucking wall for him. And it was a very emotional speech. And the, the way that they did it was really beautiful too, because he doesn't talk to her at all. He just looks at the box the entire time she's talking. There was something, I don't know, really powerful about that. He just, just absorbing everything. But you're right. He has been a big inspiration. I heard once Tom Brady talking, and I forget where, I mean, I've seen a lot of Tom Brady stuff, but I remember him talking about being a backup and getting in there and saying, now I'm going to mix words here. It was This wasn't exactly what he said, but the concept was, I knew that I had to work hard, harder than anyone to basically keep this because I was a backup. And he said, and I knew I had to do it every game that it never would stop. Because yep. the second you don't, someone else is going to be there to take your place. And it really shows his ethic right from the get-go. He was an underdog. You know, he was in a volatile position. And he's played that way. I mean, he's played every game like it's his last game. I've seen him get mad over doing well because he didn't think he did well mm. enough. Pass something and it'll be they'll get the first down, they'll get the yardage, but he's pissed off because it wasn't the read that he wanted. Very, very passionate player. Yeah, I think that idea of being a backup and having to fight and you know, you, you can never switch off. Yeah, you know, I've heard Belichick talk about the story of Wally Pip, and if you're not familiar, that's the guy who he was I'm not really baseball, he was a position player for the Yankees. I'm not sure he might have been the catcher or something like that. Wasn't feeling 100%, took the game off, and I think it might have been Lou Gehrig came in and then, until Cal Ripken came along, had the record for most number of games without missing one. Right. And there's footage from Edelman's rookie season in the preseason. I think it's even Amit. No, it's Wes Welker. Might be Wes Welker. It's Wes Welker or Amador, whoever the punt returner is at the time, the regular punt returner. Edelman does it during the preseason and, yep. like, runs it back for the touchdown. Edelman holds the record. 
for most punt return touchdowns for the Patriots. And I think the NFL record for yards per return on punts. So like a, a fantastic punt returner. And Wes Welker, it's a preseason game. So it, Welker, Avondale, whoever it is, says to Belichick, you know what? If he wants to do it, it's his. And Belichick just says to him, have you ever heard of Wally Pip? And it's that idea of like, as soon as you get your opportunity, you fight and fight and fight to keep it because there is always someone who wants it more. There's always a bigger fish. And that's that's it for for Brady. And that's that's what I love about Edelman as well. It's that you know, against all odds holding in there to, to do it. So there is a lot of inspiration. I know it sounds trite, but it is it is true. And I really, I encourage people to go and it's a bit, it is cringy the speech itself but it is it is quite a powerful speech i thought and then as i say with tom turning around with the the let's fucking go was really a a fantastic moment agreed my notes here at this point all capitals basically until we get to the next scene (laughs) and they are and i'll I'll read top to bottom and the comeback begins hightower sack danny hansen td they do have a quote here. He's got a skull like a baby bird, but his hands are like Midas. Love that line. Love it. I wrote that down too. Because Edelman, it, it, those of you that don't watch football or Patriots football, Edelman is always getting injured. It was <laughs> it's, a- Amendola. He was only Amendola. ever fit for the Is that playoffs. what I said? Uh, I, Edelman. Edelman. Hightower sack, Danny Hansen touchdown. James White, two-point conversion, the one where it looks like a botch snap and he just runs it straight in. Love that play. Yep. Trey Flowers sacks, knocks him out of field goal range. Jules catches it. White gets home. Danny Hanson, bubble screen, two point. And as we're watching it, I was calling out the plays before they were happening. They go Love to it. overtime. Matt Slater calls correctly. Tom marches down the field, tossed to White. Yeah, buddy. And there is a reason why, at a previous role, uh, all of our social media passwords were tossed to White, exclamation mark. I love it. White was an absolute stud in that game. James White he got He was two- robbed of MVP. He was unbelievable. James White got two touchdowns. He got the one in overtime to win the Super Bowl, and he got a two-point conversion. I mean, just absolute lights out gameplay there. He caught like 14 passes or something. He caught the most passes ever in a Super Bowl, and I think he got the most targets ever in a Super Bowl. He had a phenomenal game. Like, the Falcons could not stop him. Nope. And he's so talented because he can shifty runner, but he's got great hands. And that's what Brady loves about him. Always James White. James White was always his escape valve. Needs to get rid of it. James White was there. And James White has issues with getting injured as well. Amendola has history getting injured. But Amendola was great that game too. He got two touchdowns. Yep. Always came up big in the playoffs. Chris Hogan was great in that playoff run. Because again, although he's in the film, Gronk didn't play. Gronk was injured. If it wasn't all that season, it was most of that season. So, like you had Martellus Bennett, Dwayne Allen, I think, playing. Um, Edelman, fantastic receiver. But, like, this slot guys, bit part guys. I mean, James White getting 14, 15 catches in the Super Bowl is ridiculous. Um, that was that season we've talked about as well previously. LeGarrette Blunt with 18 touchdowns. And there's a line in here, not to jump the gun, but since we're talking about it, um, I think it was Sally Fields. I know exactly what you're going to say, where it's like, you've got the highest... Yeah, yeah. We're, well, we'll get to that now. I've got... After the game, the stadium's all empty, and they're still sitting up in the box, kind of soaking it up, enjoying each other's company. And they ask Lily Tomlin what it costs, and she's like, I don't know, man, a fuck ton. And Rita Moreno is like, ha ha, well, good thing I'm fucking Kenny Rogers, the gambler. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> and like, she 
cleaned out the box owner, took his fucking watch, and she's like, don't worry about it, I'll pay for it. Uh, Chip, Ron Funches, comes up. You know, are you the women who broke into the, the corners? And they think they're being escorted out. What do you know? Much like the Simpsons episode, they end up in the, the Patriots locker room as they're all celebrating. What? Conspicuous in his absence, Bill Belichick. Sally goes and talks to Danny Amendola, and as you were talking about, says, like, Danny Amendola, you're incredible. you got the highest catch percentage. You're so reliable. Yep. And he's like, oh, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said. And she's like, people should say nice things to you all the time. You know, she's learned about negging, but also that maybe you should just be positive. You shouldn't neg people. Rita Moreno is playing with Julian Edelman's beard and says, I want to shave you, which really got it got a big laugh from me. It got a big laugh from the audience in the uh, the video we were watching. And didn't he just respond, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jane goes to Gronk's locker and she's like, oh, wow. And, and finds that he's got a copy of uh, Between a Gronk and a Hard Place or whatever it's called. And she turns around and Gronk's standing there and she says, wow, you're, you're so big. And he sort of gives her a creepy a creepy grin. It's the best acting we've seen him done. I think it's like the fourth time he's come up. And this is his best role. Yeah, he tells like, her he takes the books. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Mm. And he tells her that he takes her book everywhere. But yeah, it's two lines, but it has been the best out of all the commercials and the Simpsons and the every time Grunk's come up, not much of an actor. I'm going to throw the challenge flag. This is always tough because like this is someone's hard work and it's easy to do this in retrospect and maybe there were reasons why. But I would have loved if turns around Grunk's there and she's like, oh, you've got my book. And he just says, I just wish I could read it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before. Grunk is totally fine. Br- Grunk is a brand and he knows what his yep. brand is and he all he buys into it. Grunk smash like that's his thing. So I bet he would have I bet he would have done the line. I would hope so. And then, of course, Lily meets Tom. And I'm going to be honest, this is another soft challenge flag here. Tom gives one of the worst speeches in movie history. And the speech itself comes from the heart and it's beautiful. It's talking about how people with cancer inspire him and that, you know, he just plays a game and their struggle is is real and that's what gives him strength. And there's extra meaning to that because this season and this Super Bowl run, his mum was battling breast cancer at the time and you see that in the, the celebration out on the field. And it this is clearly very personal, yep. but he's just... It's something about it. I'm like, this is very, very uncomfortable. And again, it did make me cry the first time around. There's just something about it that's off. I've said this before, and I don't know if you agree with me or not, but Brady, excellent quarterback, not the best actor, man. I mean, like, I had issues with him when we covered our Simpsons episode. Um, He's come up before. He's not an actor. Like when you see him do stuff that's genuine, um, when he's mic'd up and he's talking to his team, that stuff can be pump you up or, or inspire you in a way. But whenever he's on screen, I think there was a little bit of that. Like I get the speech. I get that this was a connection there. I wasn't mad about it. It wasn't like I saw it and I was like, ugh. but you're right. It was just a little bit off. And honestly, I think it might've been, I think it might've been Tom. Yep. And I think he's okay in this as well. Like everything sure. else, I'm like, oh, you're doing all right, buddy. Like, yeah, everything else is fine. But then the speech at the end is like, it was just a little bit off, but it was still a beautiful moment. I did quite like they go. He's like, I love your jersey. Like, do you want to yes. swap? And yeah. his jersey's not there, of course. His his jersey got stolen after the game. Yep, there was a big controversy. He's like, hey, I'll give you mine. 
I don't know where it is. Oh, I'll find it later. Uh, that was a big deal during that year. Uh, if you guys remember, yep. um, his jersey was stolen. No one knew where it went. And the whole scene ends with Lily Tomlin doing like a proper old lady clap. It ends, oh, it sort of ends. There's a, a Marvel-esque post-credit scene, but it's now, it's 2020 and Brady is now a buck. Uh, everyone is at Lily's house, but Lily isn't there. Uh, the girls are wearing half bucks, half Pat's jerseys. Lily's daughter is there. Rita's gentleman friend is there. And as the game's about to start, Jane Fonda, uh, they're all standing around the, Lily's empty chair, her Patriots chair, and raise a toast to say, you know, to the woman who brought us together. Oh, where is she? Mom, get in here. I was yeah. off getting chair. Lily's not yeah. dead. Yeah, that was a nice mixture, actually. She's not dead. And then she came in with her, her split jersey. <laughs> she alive. It's like the end of A Christmas Carol with and Tiny Tim, who did not die. <laughs> right. It was a good twist. It was a nice misdirection. At the end, she, flip, she flips the chips and, and Brady as a buck season begins. After the credits, there's a final scene on the beach and they're all talking about retirement. Like, oh, I never really retired, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, no, I didn't ask you about retirement. I asked him. And Brady's on the beach next to them. And he's like, well, I don't know if you want to retire where well, you still got something left in the tank or something. He says something like that. And I immediately thought that his retirement earlier in the week was a promo for this film with the idea that you would watch this film, get to the scene at the end and be like, he's not retiring. They did leave it up like that because he basically, he didn't say that he was going to retire in the film. It was basically alluding that he wasn't going to retire. I do think he's done this time. I think so too. Last time, I don't know, it just seemed off. It didn't seem like he was actually going to do it. And this time it feels real. Yeah, he got to control the narrative a bit more this time. You know, he's posting pictures in his undies. Like, I think he's yeah, he's done. He's, he's leaning done into now. it so a lot more. Yeah, We're done. And I, I'm going to finish with a quote from one of the uh, the actual 80 for Brady women here before we go into our judgment. So just, yeah, just get the juices flowing with that one. Though the movie is about four friends going to the Super Bowl, the main thing you need to take away from this is that having good friends is very precious. Even at 95, I can say, life is short, too short for arguments and holding grudges. Be kind to others and kindness will find you. Hmm. And fuck Matt Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get one more in. <laughs> <laughs> deserved though well, i thought deserved. it was too it was too good not to finish but yeah i just thought that was a a, re a really nice sentiment to finish on because that really is the story it's not about brady and pay it is an exploration of friendship and the fact that i think you do get to a point in your life where you're like we're all too old for the bullshit and the mind games and it's about spending time with the people you want to spend time with i think that's a really good message from the film with that in mind why don't you where do you put this on our on our raking system I mean, I'm going to have a little bit of a caveat with it. I am going to go with fourth round for me. And the reason I'm going fourth round is because I do think it was a nice movie. It was a light movie. It did get a couple laughs from me. This isn't my type of movie. So it's not really my type of humor. There was a lot of low-hanging fruit. But there was some nice surprises in it. There was elements where I genuinely laugh. I love the football aspect of it. It was cool. I like that it's launching on Brady's retirement year. And I like that it was about, in my opinion, most memorable comeback. Maybe most memorable game. And I, I like that a lot. So there is a lot of good elements to this movie. 
I would even probably rank it higher if you're a big Brady fan, if you're a Pats fan. Like, to me, this is a wholesome enough movie. You can sit down with your mom, your grandmother. You can put it on. It's something that maybe kids would like. I'm not really sure. But it's definitely a family-friendly movie. I could see if you're really into those things or your grandmother's probably going to put this at a number two. Um, I'm gonna put it. <laughs> a, I'm gonna put it in a fourth round. But I think it could be bumped up if this is your style of movie, or you're just a really into Pat, you know, the Pats or something. How about you? So I think it's interesting you talk about if this is your style of movie, and unlike you know we've seen announcements from cinema providers and stuff this week about surge pricing for different different shows, different seats in the cinema. I think it's interesting that this film did much better in its opening weekend than people thought. And I think a big part of that is because they made the tickets dirt cheap and put a lot of seatings on during the matinees. And it is for like retirees, for older people who want to go along and see it's, it's your mum, your aunt, your grandma, like your, your book club, you go and see it. I really liked it. I liked it a lot more than I thought. I thought I'm going to enjoy this from a Patriots point of view. It was a lot of fun. The four leads are in, are amazing. It was great to revisit that Super Bowl. You know, we've talked about my affection for Brady and I guess what he means to me. And that element of it is certainly a part of it. But I think you take it away. Let's say it's about four Packers fans going to watch Aaron Rodgers or a wholesome version of Always Sunny where they go to watch the Eagles. It's the first ever Eagles Super Bowl. Something like that. I think I enjoy it just as much because the performances in it are just as good. Yes, there's the emotional ties of it being, and maybe that gets a little bit of a nudge. I think this might be, other than Jerry Maguire, probably my favorite film that we've watched so far. Nice. I would probably watch Draft Day again instead of this, but I, I, I had a lot of fun with this. Like, my dad sees every movie that comes out. I don't know if this is being released in Australia. It's not being released in the UK till March. But I'll say, like, go and watch this movie. I don't know what you'll get out of it, but, like, this is my team. This is who I support. Like this is, this is something that means something to me. Go and go and check it out. Maybe get something out of it. I'm gonna say it's a late second round, early third round for me. It's not doing anything new. The laughs are. It's very. It's very tame. I just really liked it. It's just a nice movie. I feel there is space in a world that takes itself very seriously to just enjoy a nice movie about friendship and what it means to be a fan of something that's good enough for me and i i would recommend that people watch this movie fair enough it's certainly worth a watch and like i said it's something that if you want to watch it with a family member it's wholesome enough there are definitely a few jokes that you might say aren't but it's wholesome enough it's super light i would watch it again which a lot, some of the movies we've reviewed, I have, I would not, or episodes we reviewed, I have not. Um, I'm not mad at a late second, early third. Mine was basically a fourth with a caveat of a third. I think a lot of people might fall in that third round category, um, but it's a good movie. Yeah. I was going to introduce a new segment this week, but I think we've kind of run long enough. But what I will do is I'll put a call out to uh, those of us, like at Thomas Grady, who are listening to this podcast, and... The segment is called Jersey Boys and Jersey Girls. And the idea is we want you to record some audio of you talking about maybe it's your favorite jersey, your lucky jersey, your first jersey, a jersey with an interesting story behind us, and tell us about it. I think we've all got those favorites. 
Uh, maybe in the coming weeks we'll talk about some of ours. When we have guests on, we'll get them to talk about it. But really, we want to we wanna hear from you. So if you want to be part of this segment, we'll start to do this across the year. Send your audio. Keep it nice and short, 45 seconds, 90 seconds. Send that over to screenyoulater at gmail.com along with any suggestions you might have for the show, anything you want us to cover. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll um, we'll have you on there. And don't forget, include your name, tell us where you're from, all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, keep an ear out for Jersey boys and Jersey girls. Yeah, definitely send those over. We're excited to hear them. And Sheehan and I will tell you some Jersey stories in the future. A little teaser to look forward to. Exactly. And uh, I suppose on that note, why don't you tell the people where they can get in touch with you? Well, if you want to reach out to me on social media, you can find me at Justin underscore B on Twitter. And if you want to see some web and design work or need some web and design work, you can find me at justin-b.com. And as always, I am at Sheehan Solo on Twitter. You can follow the show on Instagram at ScreenPass Podcast. I'll be putting up some photos from the NFL experience and maybe some other ones I find related to this episode. You can follow 32Bit on Twitter. That's at the number 30, T-W-O-B-I-T. You can, of course, email us uh, with your Jersey boys and Jersey girls or anything else at uh, to ScreenYouLater at gmail.com. And with that, let's go, let's go, let's screen you later. the bottom now we're here oh yeah